We are happy to have you here for Mind Body Health. We're going to be joined by Marvin Trotter and Dr. Mark Apfel from the Health Center. Our intrepid host, Dr. Marvin Trotter, has got some troubles in the traffic today. So he's going to be tuning in just a little bit late, uh, such as things are in live radio land. But we are so happy to be joined by our guest today, Dr. Mark Apfel from the Anderson Valley Health Center. Hey there, Mark. Hey, Cobb. How you doing? Doing good. Can you bring your microphone just a little bit closer? Perfect. Yeah, so we are live in the studio together, practicing all the proper social distance protocols, masks, and so forth. And, Mark, thanks so much for coming here. It almost goes without introducing you to many of our listeners in the local area, but Dr. Mark Apfel is, uh, you, what is your official title with the Anderson Valley Health Center? Uh, Currently, my official title is just staff physician. Uh, I I stepped down from being the medical director about a year and a half ago, but I was the medical director for you know forty plus years. And you were pretty key in bringing the health center into existence, weren't you? Uh, I I came shortly after they started, so the the health center was actually started by my cousin Franklin Apfel in early. Uh, 1976, along with uh, a bunch of community members and especially uh, Terry Anderson, who was our administrator uh, from 76 to, to 1999, and Peggy Miniclair, who was our nurse practitioner until uh, 2004. So they were all key people in really getting the ball rolling, and I came in September of 76 and, and joined them. Wow, cool. And what brought you to Anderson Valley originally? Well, I had wanted to practice in a rural community for for several years uh, and had been looking around uh, Northern California. uh, And my cousin had recently moved to Anderson Valley, so that, that brought me here was the connection with him. Cool, and it looks like we've got our regular Dr. Marvin. Are you there with us? Howdy. Hey Sorry there. I spaced. Hey, Mark. Hey, Marvin. And actually, that's why I'm here. His cousin. Once upon a time, his mother was ill in Florida, and they asked me to come do a locums at the Mendocino County Community Clinic. And that's how I started coming to Mendocino. Cool. Yeah, we ran the, uh, Franklin and I ran the health center in Boonville, and we ran the county hospital and outpatient clinic in Ukiah for many years together uh, for about three years. And then I transitioned into working full-time over here in 79 and stopped Mm -hmm. working in Ukiah at that point. Wow, incredible. What what was health care like when you first started here? Compared to now, well, most of it was private practice at that time. Uh, we were, uh, I think, we were the first community-based health center in the county. Uh, there was a group starting off in uh, in um, uh, Bolala and and on the south coast, uh, but I believe we were the actually the first community health center. And the way we were initially modeled, we were cooperative, so everybody was equal and. 
initially everybody got four dollars an hour of pay because we had no money four bucks an hour four bucks an hour yep including the doctors so uh i i told my cousin i would work for free instead of working for four bucks an hour Mm-hmm. And then starting in 77, we started getting some funding through the state, and we were able to start paying people a little bit more salaries. And then gradually over the next, uh, from 77 to 79, uh, we managed to get enough funding through the state that we could actually pay for a full-time position. So uh, I was a little tired of going back and forth to Ukiah three or four days a week, so I decided I would just concentrate on Anderson Valley at that time, and I became the full-time doctor here. That's incredible, Mark. I mean, when you think of the costs of getting the, the medical education nowadays and everything that goes on, I mean... That's so cool. You were just willing to be a doctor out here for people. Well, you know, it's it's really a, a wonderful community, and it was a really a community effort to get this thing going. You know, we were the medical providers, and we were obviously essential, but without the support of the community and the people of the community, we could have never have been successful. And the need was there, so, you know... Uh, we initially had our office downtown in Boonville and th- those old brown buildings that should be burnt down on, <laughs> on, on 128. And we were in th- that, bu- that building until uh, 1982 when we got enough funding that we could build the, the building at our current site out at Airport Road. And we were able to buy that property th- from the school district. So we bought that property from the school district and built the health center out there in, in 1982 and moved in in 1983. So but tell, them, tell them also about, you have a phenomenal clinic now. It's an LEED building, et cetera. I worked out there some intermittently. It's it's a beautiful clinic, and, and describe the clinic. Yeah, so we did, we, you know, originally, when we built the original building in 82, we, it was, it was, uh, you know, we were we were concerned about energy efficiency at that time, so it was designed for solar models, and it had, you know, cooling and heating systems that were going to be much more efficient than general systems. We did a major remodel in 2006 to 2008, and we added we about tripled the size of the building, including building the ambulance barn and and, mm-hmm. and facility for the ambulance. Uh, which had been in this little garage downtown in Boonville that had no running water and no bathrooms and no uh, facilities at all for the staff. So now they have this really beautiful place to have the ambulance in. And we were the first uh, gold lead LED certified uh, uh, health center in California. We had, I believe, about 120 solar panels on the roof at that point. Mm-hmm. All, all the flooring was recycled material. Uh, all the lumber was sustainable growth lumber. Um, we we you know, avoid any kind of real chemicals in the building. All the cleaning materials are you know clean, biodegradable cleaning materials and such like that. So, you know, we were really conscious about our footprint on the environment. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Yeah, it is it's a beautiful, a beautiful building. place to work. Oh yeah, and the, I can attest the uh, ambulance crew quarters is incredible and, yeah. and such a big deal to to keeping our crew members. And we're now in the process of expanding the building again. We're going to mm-hmm. add another wing off uh, off of the back of the building. We're going to add a two story wing. Uh, it's going to be, I believe, about a two and a half million dollar project. Uh, it'll be two stories. Uh, 
and we'll have more room there for behavioral health then, uh, for um, our King Clinic, uh, more, off, more space for the staff, a nice kitchen and facilities for that. So that, that's a project we're just getting underway and we're actually just starting our fundraising for that uh, in the near future. Well, okay, so before I before I have to start taking Zofran because everything's so beautiful, um, give them. I, I still think that um, I would like for people to hear about your medication, being able to take an X-ray, how an FQHC works, just so they'll understand what a difference it was between now and when you came. Okay, so we we are currently we're, we're called a federally qualified health center and FQHC uh, clinic. There are five of five clinics in the county that have that designation, and with that designation, we got a lot of federal funding. So uh, until two thousand and nine, we had all of our funding came through the state of California, and we were funded through I believe thirteen different programs at that time, and we. We, as I said, we had done this major expansion in 2006, and we had had this national group called Capital Links come in and do an evaluation, and they felt we were very financially stable to do this, and we were in pretty good financial status at that point. And then in 2009, when the economy collapsed, uh, the state eliminated all 11 programs we got funded through. And we've been trying to get federal status uh, several times, but have been denied mainly because of how small we were. Uh, and at that point, um, in 2009, when we lost all that funding, we lost about a third of our revenue. And there was a real question about whether we would survive or not. Um, the clinic in Potter Valley at that time closed within mu- a couple of weeks of this. So, you know, and they were in the similar situation that we were, and we were the non-federally qualified health centers in the county. And Judith Dolan, who was our administrator, and I found a grant through the Kresge Foundation. They gave um, 20 grants throughout the United States for $150,000 a year for two years to non-federally qualified health centers. And we got one of their grants, which basically saved us. Mm -hmm. And all of our staff, you know, we sat down with our staff, and we all talked about it, and we all agreed we didn't really want to lay people off. So everybody in the staff volunteered to take a 10% pay cut. So that, therefore, we did not have to lay anybody off. And then uh, in 2011, um, we qualified for the fe- we got our federal grant on on the last day. I mean, we we were we were down getting down to really <laughs> really dire straits financially. And in August, we were awarded the federal grant, which gave us uh, about seven hundred thousand dollars and really pushed us up. And since then, that grant has really grown over the years. So that uh, we are, you know, in very good financial straits at this this point, it's enabled us to expand our dental facilities. It's enabled us to expand our behavioral health clinic. So we now have uh, uh, two clinical psychologists and a licensed social worker who speaks Spanish doing behavioral health. Uh, and we have we just hired two new dentists to come on board. So <coughs> we have a lot of collaboration in between all the aspects of healthcare providing care to our patients. And you know, we have always looked at, at healthcare as, as a really global way of provi- providing healthcare t- to our patients. It's not just medical care. You can't just provide medical care and have healthy people. And our goal has always been to have a healthy community. So we've really focused on how, 
what services, you know, my focus has always been on what services can we bring here so people don't have to go over the hill to get it done. And we're a yeah, pretty much it, a one-stop shop place. It's it's incredible. You know, I don't know. You know, it's some something if it's in your community and you don't think about it, but it really is incredible what Anderson Valley Clinic provides. Even your medications are 10 bucks a piece. I mean, it's it's really for a small town an incredible facility. Well, you know, we got you know, we there's no pharmacy in town. There's never been a pharmacy. So we've been dispensing medications since, you know, since I've been there in the, in the late 70s. And um, through a friend of mine, I was able to get hooked up uh, with Cardinal Health, which is one of the largest health organizations in the country. And we, we qualify for what's called 340B financing, which is a federally financed program. And so we got access to medications at very, very reduced courses. I mean, ridiculous prices. Um, and our philosophy has been that we're, you know, now, many of the clinics use 340B, and they use it through pharmacies, and their patients go to the pharmacy, they get their prescription, and the clinic gets kind of a kickback on it. So the clinics actually, make, they don't do any work, and they make a lot of money off of 340B. Mm-hmm. Most, Almost all the hospitals get their medications through 340B. So Adventist Health gets their medications through 340B as well because they're a safety, they provide care to the safety net. Mm-hmm. Uh, our philosophy has always been that you know that we this is a service that we provide to our patients, so we we're really not trying to make any money off of it. So we price our medications at ten dollars plus the cost of the medication, and then we round it off to the closest five dollars. And since most of our medications cost us one or two dollars for a three month supply for chronic medications, uh, we charge ten dollars for most of our prescriptions. And that saves our patients from going over the hill to Ukiah to go get their medications. You know, and even with, say, Medi-Cal patients, for example, Medi-Cal does not pay us for the medications because that's considered part of our service. So we don't get any reimbursement for the, the payments. But, you know, if I have a mom come in with a sick kid, with, you know, who's got, you know, strep throat, for example, and she needs a bottle of penicillin, and I have it in the office, and it cost me a buck to give it to her. Mm-hmm. Am I going to make her drive all the way to Ukiah, wait probably two hours at a pharmacy to get their medication, and then drive back and you know spend three or four hours and and gas driving back and forth to Ukiah, or am I going to give them the medicine for free? Of course, I'm going to give it to them for free. That only makes sense. Yeah. Um, well. It's kind of funny to me when when you say just so matter of factly, you know, it only makes sense. Everything about the story you're describing is an ethic towards healthcare and community healthcare from the bottom up, not just being a doctor, not just the medical care. Um, and I just wonder if you can speak to a bit of the group inspiration that exists there at the health center because it's clear just from hearing your story that that's a big deal to you but i can tell just being a patient at the health center how important that is to everybody who works there well i i think it's part of you know the the culture of the health center that we are there to serve the people of our community and we want to do whatever we can to provide access to good quality health care 
to all of our patients who come through our doors. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, you have insurance, whether you're uninsured, whether you have good insurance, whether you have Medi-Cal, whether you have Medicare. You know, we don't really, we're not really that concerned about it. We want to provide what's best for the patients in the community. You know, again, m most of us live here so that these are not just patients. These are our friends, our neighbors, our relatives. Um, and we, you know, we want to treat them with respect and dignity. You know, I always, always had a hard time with that philosophy in medicine that, that as, the, as the doctor, you were supposed to be objective about everything. And I say to my patients, what would you rather have me be objective about you or subjective? Should I be considering who you are, what you want, what your needs are, what your goals are, or should I just look at you as a number? And of course, most people say, well, I want to be treated as an individual. That's the best thing in the world. So we tailor the, patient, the care to the patient's needs. Yeah. Um, uh, on that note, how many patients were you serving when the health center was first getting started and compared to uh, right now, how many patients is the health center serving? Um, I would say, you know, over the years, we have gradually increased, you know, the number of people that we are serving, but, you know, it hasn't dramatically changed, uh, you know, you know, that much because, um, yeah, I don't know that the population in the valley has grown dramatically in the 45 years that I've been here. Mm -hmm. I mean, the demographics have certainly dramatically changed. When I came here in 76, there was maybe 5% of our population was Hispanic, and now it's well over 50%. If you go to the schools, there are 75, 70, 75% right. Hispanic in the school. So, you know, when I first came here, that was a very small percentage of the population. At that time, uh, logging was logging was a big industry. Um, sheep ranching, apple apple orchards were a big industry. The wineries were just starting to come in, so you know the whole uh, employment and and economic en uh, engine of the valley has totally changed in the forty five years as well. Yeah, and I mean, it, when you say in the forty five years, you've been caring for patients. And you've been caring for their children their whole lives that live here in Anderson Valley. You know, I have, uh, I believe I have about six families that I've taken care of six generations. Oh, wow. And many five generations and four generations. And that's, I think that's just really cool, getting to really know these, I mean, you know, families with 30, 40, 50 people who are related uh, and getting to know them and know those connections. And, you know, it gives you a much better idea of who this person is and, and what, what, what you need to do to help them. Yeah, you know, for me, um, I was reflecting on this a little bit last night before, you know, thinking about the show coming up and just recalling how when I was a kid, um, you know, we talk a lot about primary care physicians and how it's a difficult field to get into now you know marvin could go on his soapbox about this in a really good way and we've been highlighting it because of the uh, residency program going on in ukiah but i was thinking about how when i was very young you know i had this doctor and he was my doctor and it i just took it for granted and he was there as a regular face until maybe he retired when i was about 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't occurred to me what a huge deal that was for me as a kid, having that familiar face that I went in, you know, because I was afraid of the doctor. 
And then I got to know him, and pretty soon it was just one of these staple people that, you know, if I was sick or I wasn't feeling good, I'm very vulnerable. I'm going in and seeing the doctor that's been there the whole time. And, you know, I, it hadn't occurred to me in, in such a, a conscious way uh, what kind of a positive impact that had on my own well-being growing up and how that's gotten to, it seems like that's become a more rare thing and yet the health center in anderson valley in particular has really held on to that and promoted it and shown how it functions really well even today well i think we've been lucky in having you know a, a pretty good stability in our staff over the years um you know you know and you know and i have to give a shout out to all the people who work at the health center you know you know I often get a lot of credit for what happens, but you know it—it's a whole team effort. I can't—I don't do this all by myself, and I've had wonderful nurse practitioners from Peggy Miniclair to Bonnie Henderson to Cindy Orbenavello and now Louisa Savin. They've all been really great, and have adopted the culture we have in the health center, and you know are really part of the community. Uh, we've had really great administrators over the years, um, and you know. And, you know, I've obviously been a stabilizing factor being there for all these many years. But, you know, I've had help from, obviously, from Franklin, uh, from Jack Power, who worked for us for 25 years. Um, You know, so, so, you know, no no one person could do all of the things here. It It takes really a team effort. And then, of course, you know, people like Judy Nelson, who was our nurse for, you know, 40 years and... You know, as a beloved person in the community for everything she does for everyone. Well, and such a great sense of humor. Like, how many Anderson Valley variety shows have you been in? A few. (laughs) (laughs) I guess um, before we move on, and uh, I should let everybody know. That's a funny statement. I didn't expect that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They. I mean, not just Mark, but the the entire health center uh, staff at one point or another, uh, you know, gets an introduction to people that way. Sometimes um, they're good sports, but the the whole county doesn't necessarily know that context. And if you just tuned in, you're listening to the Mind Body Health Show. My name's Cobb. Um, I'm joined in the studio today with uh, Dr. Mark Apfel. He's our guest, our host is coming through us via the airwaves of Zoom, Dr. Marvin Trotter. And uh, we've been talking with Dr. Mark Apfel about the Anderson Valley Health Center. And I know there's some other subjects you wanted to bring up to put out there in general. Um, Pulse forms is one of them, and there was a few others. So, So, you know... One of the things I did in, in 2005, I, I was accepted into the California Health Leadership uh, Fellowship Program that's sponsored by uh, California Healthcare Foundation and the uh, Centers for Health Professionals at UCSF. And they take 30 healthcare professionals from the state each year into a two-year program in training and leadership. And it's an incredibly fabulous program. And I was the at that time, I was the first one from Mendocino County to, to get in this program. Uh, two years ago, uh, Mimi Doohan, who was in this program, as well as Gary Pace, they were the next people. So no one had been in it for 15 years after I was in it. And through this program, I have developed a network. Uh, we have about 500 alumni now throughout the state of healthcare leaders that and and 
you know, and we all know each other pretty pretty well. And it's given me connections all over the state to get access to health care for patients and help with things. Uh, one of the people who was in my group is uh, uh, Dr. Richard Pan, who's been in this. He's in the second term in the state assembly, uh, state senate. Um, another was a woman named a Amy Gutierrez, who was the head pharmacist for uh, LA County, and now is the head pharmacist for Kaiser in the United States. She's the one who helped me with the cardinal thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had cases where you know I needed help with somebody in Southern California and called people up and they get right back to me. So it's been a great network of for for me to get access outside of the area. And through that program, uh, I got involved with. Uh, there was a request for proposal in 2007 to start a program called Pulse Physician Orders for Life Sustaining Treatment in California. And I looked at that, and this is a form where people can state what kind of care they want when they're nearing the end of their lives so that they can avoid unnecessary, they can get the care that they want and avoid the care that they don't want. And I looked at this and I said, well, this is, this is such a no-brainer. And so I applied and I got accepted into that program as one of the pilot projects in 2007. And by 2009, I became one of the lead physicians promoting this program throughout the state. And it's been an incredibly successful program. And I think, you know, Almost every hospital at EMS system uses Pulse in the country in in the, in the state now, and it's a very well accepted document. It's an illegal document, and I continue to work on that. And I represent um, California on the National Pulse program as well. So I I I, I you know work on both the state and national level on this, and that's really been fascinating for me, being this small town country doctor, you know, working on state and national issues uh, on end of life and. Uh, you know, and it's something that, you know, I continue to promote and I encourage people to, you know, talk about, have these conversations with your with your loved ones. I, and, you know, advanced health, advanced care planning in healthcare is really crucial and most people don't do it. And it's something that we all should be doing. Everybody over the age of 18 should have an advanced healthcare directive stating who they want to make decisions for them if they're unable to make that. They may not know what decisions they want to make at that time, and their decisions may change. But, you know, we got to this point because of catastrophic events in young women who ended up, you know, on ventilators or with tube feedings, and nobody could stop them, stop these things, because they had, no, they had never talked about these things. So we, you know, we need to have these conversations uh, and continue to have these conversations. And especially as people get older, they really need to have th these things in in place before they have something bad happen. Yeah, I remember being at a, a physical with you, Doctor Mark, and you brought up the pulse form for me, and I was like, I'm a young, healthy guy. And then I thought about it for a moment, and was like, Oh man, I. Anything could happen any given day. And well, I, well, I did not bring up a pulse form for you. I brought up an advanced health. Advanced health, right. Directive, not a pulse form because you're not pulse appropriate. You're too young and you're too healthy. Okay, okay. My bad. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, me being the perfect, maybe the imperfect representative for the, the uninformed public, can we just step back and slow down? Can you explain uh, once again to all our listeners... It, the the advanced healthcare directives and what they are, the post form and what it means and how to go about uh, starting that process if they sure. haven't. So, 
advanced healthcare directives are meant for anybody over the age of 18. And advanced healthcare directives name someone to make decisions for you if you are unable to make them. There's usually a statement in them about whether you wanted, would want your life prolonged if you were terminally ill or you were in an irreversible coma or situations like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is a legal document, and it needs to be filled out by the patient, and only the patient can fill this out. Uh, it requires uh, either a notary to notarize it or two people to witness it. And unfortunately, healthcare providers can't be witnesses, and anybody who works in my office is considered a healthcare provider, even mm. my receptionist. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I can't do these in the office. With I give them to patients, but I would I would love to get them completed because I give them to people and they take them home and they stick them in their drawer and they don't do it. That's something that everybody should have, and that that's really about your future healthcare. It's not about your healthcare today, right now. It's about you know if something were to happen in the future, this is what I would want. Mm -hmm. uh, because you know, especially if you're 18 or years old or 30 years old or even 40 years old uh you don't you don't know what you're going to want in 10 or 20 years you know you're you, you can change your mind you know over and over over these situations and you don't know what kind of health issues you're going to face the post form is aimed at people who are nearing the end of their lives so our target population is people who have generally less than a year to live or people who have chronic progressive illnesses and it is a specific medical order stating what kind of care you want and what kind of care you don't want. And it has four sections in it. The first section is whether or not you would want to be resuscitated or not. Mm -hmm. So either attempt resuscitation or do not attempt resuscitation. And what most people don't realize is that if generally in this population, CPR is very unsuccessful. So CPR was developed you know, back in the 50s for young you know men in their 50s or 60s who had sudden cardiac death and it wasn't developed for people in their 80s who had cancer and multiple medical problems mm -hmm. and they just don't do that well with it the second section is what kind of care you would want if while you're still breathing so cpr is only done when you have no pulse and you're not breathing so section b is what kind of medical care would you want while you're still breathing and again, you can choose either full treatment, which means you get everything done. Uh, you can choose selective treatment, where you, you're really trying to avoid burdensome measures. So you, you, you wouldn't go into ICU, you wouldn't get put on a ventilator, but you would get IV antibiotics if you had a, you know, something that could be fixed easily. Like let's say you had appendicitis and you, we could just go and do, take your appendix out laparoscopically and you go home the next day. You know, most people would go for that. And the third section is comfort-focused treatment only, where people really just want to be kept comfortable. And then there's a section about artificial nutrition, whether or not you would want artificial nutrition or not. And there's been a lot of controversy recently about whether we should have this on the form. Uh, several mm -hmm. states have actually taken it off the form. But mm -hmm. you know, nationally, we feel that this is one of the most important things on, on the Pulse form, because no one else ever talks about it. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, when you look at the legal cases, many of them have to do with art, artificial nutrition. So the Terry Schiavo case, which was very publicized about 15 years ago, a uh, woman who was on artificial nutrition for 13 years, and then and and the, and there was an argument between the husband and the 
parents about whether to take or off it or not. Mm-hmm. So you can either choose artificial nutrition, you can choose not to have it, and you can have, choose to have a trial period. And this form can be filled out either by the patient or if the patient is not able to do it, if they have a decision maker designated, the decision maker can fill out a pulse form. Uh, and again, this is also a legal document, and it doesn't require any witnesses that need to be signed by the provider, the medical provider, and the patient, or the or their decision maker. And it it is EMS and, and emergency systems are bound to follow what's on that form. So it is a legal enforceable document, right. whereas a, an advanced health directive is just a suggestive document. Got it. Okay. Um, and something I want to add into that as a first responder, if you're out there uh, thinking over these things, is kind of the underlying context to some of these end-of-life interventions, especially in older populations where their body is a little more, what's the word, frail. It, they can be fairly traumatic interventions for the family to witness, for providers to administer, um, for those people to recover from, and so that's why it's important to really understand what the success rates are or aren't with those interventions, and to think about them. I mean, if you and, take it, if you take an area like ours with the response time for an for an ambulance to get to a patient in their home, if they've had a cardiac arrest and they're not breathing and they have no pulse, their chances of survival are basically zero. I have never seen a successful resuscitation here. Yeah, well, did you hear about the successful one in downtown Boonville recently? No. Yeah, they, there was a, a, I think maybe 50s or 60s year old, uh-huh. uh, not from the area. And, and one could say it was on the patient's good luck or fortune or bad luck. It's hard to, to gauge that with the value judgment. Anyway, patient arrived by vehicle and they just happened to stop at the firehouse where you know it was fully staffed with with people there and they started CPRing at the AED and it became a full save um ventricular fibrillation i think one shock there uh on the ground at the sidewalk uh patient was you know came back to life and we moved him to the airport he got on a helicopter and got shipped out and he had a full recovery it was about three weeks Congratulations. ago. Yeah, yeah. It was a, I mean, pretty incredible story right. all around for everyone. But it was just one of the, you know, like Dr. Mark's saying, that's an extremely rare, practically unheard of experience in comparison with how often CPR is done. Or in terms of a residents, you know, the response time to get to them at their homes. Yeah, I mean that's you know that that's the type of person who's if they're in you know ventricular fibrillation that's you know the the situation where CPR actually works. Right. And it has about a you know a fifty percent chance of, of of overall of the patient surviving, but when you look at elderly people in their eighties with m- multiple comorbidities, there when they have their cardiac arrest they have ventricular fibrillation in maybe five percent of the cases so right. yeah that's why their outcomes are so poor and and in rural parts of mendocino which is almost the whole county the response times if you're not living in the city is is significant for any medical or or yeah. traumatic condition yeah uh having i wonder if 
we can put out the phone number for anyone listening that wants to call in. Uh, the number to call into the studio is 707-895-2448. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is KZYX Radio. Uh, we're listening to the Mind Body Health Show with our host, Dr. Marvin Trotter. My name's Cobb. I'm engineering here, and our guest is here live in the studio, Dr. Mark Apfel, a uh, longtime physician in Anderson Valley. We've been talking about the local health center, uh, end of life care, and again, that number you can call in with your questions is 707 895 2448. Another subject that I wanted to briefly touch on was uh, the COVID 19 situation. And I think that, you know, we have really done an incredible job on getting vaccines out to this community. Um, we've been doing a drive-through at the, by the high school. That's been incredibly successful. Uh, the state and county have put out data based on zip codes of vaccination rates. Mm-hmm. And the three highest zip codes for vaccination rates in the county are Philo, Boonville, and Yorkville. Wow. And I want to give hats off to our team of people, uh, Leah Collins, Marcel Scormegla, um, Louisa Sabin, and Cindy Urbanavella for really doing a just fabulous job on getting these vaccines out to the community. Yeah, it, it's been, I can attest to that too, just having driven by the vaccination site. So many people have just really stepped up and made an efficient process out of that on a regular basis for people. I've heard a lot of positive reviews locally from residents around here and i think you know we've also seen you know just you know the community really come together again and supporting everybody else throughout this pandemic i think there's been enormous community support to take care of the whole community through this and that's been really wonderful to see and I, i and i've seen it in the other communities in the county i'm on a weekly call with all the community health centers in the health department and uh i i think the community health centers have done just you know you know out in in redwood coast medical services in gualala and mendocino coast service clinic in fort bragg and mchc in ukiah and long valley and Laytonville all have really stepped up to take care of their communities yeah uh we have a caller welcome to mind body health you're live on the radio go ahead with your question are you there? All right, we'll try another one. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Hi, it's interesting that you guys are talking about this uh, pulse and uh, these other this other form that you were talking about. It just uh, got brought up with uh, me and uh, and my brother. Um, my question mostly is, uh, I know one of them at least has to, the other one I'm looking at is a, uh, a medical power of attorney, uh, but I know at least one of them has a has to be notarized. The question was, hello? Yeah, you're still there. Keep going. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, my, uh, my question was, can these, I, I live 300 miles away from him. He's in Sacramento. I'm in Eureka. And uh, can I... Can they be filled out over the phone, or do they have to be filled out in? Do they have to be filled out with the witness present? Okay, so first of all, uh, uh, you know, uh, advanced healthcare directive and uh, 
living well and a, a medical um, power of attorney are all pretty much similar documents and have similar requirements. So the requirement as far as witnesses is you can either have a notary notarize it or you need two people to witness it. And at least one of them has to be someone who is not related to the patient by blood marriage or adoption or entitled to any party of their estate. So the witnesses... I understand, I understand that. The, the do, witnesses, do they need to be filled out with a witness or, or just the signature has to be witnessed? The signature has to be witnessed. Okay, I and, think that answers my question. And, yeah. and, that, and that could be witnessed, say, over uh, a Zoom call. You could see them witness it and say, okay, I saw them sign it and then sign it that, that way. So you don't actually right. have to be per- see them in person, but you have to you actually have to witness witness the signature. Yes, I understand. Okay, yeah, I think that answered my question. Thank you very much. You're Thanks welcome. for the call. Well, so if you want to call in with a question, uh, the number to call is seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight. Looks like we have one more. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Thank you. Well, it's a quick one. I was certified in first aid and CPR years ago, but not recently at all. So it sounds like no matter what, someone like me should not attempt CPR. Does that sound right? Not necessarily. I mean, if you're the only person there... Some CPR is better than nothing. Uh, CPR has changed a little bit recently. To, you know, so if you're a single person, uh, you know, we we basically do a lot of compressions first and less less breathing. But any kind of chest compressions, you know, are going to be better than nothing uh, if there's no one else to do it. I can add to that too. As far as I know, when somebody calls nine one one, the dispatcher is capable of of coaching. Uh, you know, the people that are calling 911 in CPR instructions over the phone to assist them with administering that. Okay, good. Well, that answers my question, and thanks for your great program and for KCYX. Thanks for calling. Uh, Dr. Mark, I wonder if you could tell us... um, about health centers in general, are you fairly familiar at all with with how health centers relate with larger hospitals, uh, not just in Anderson Valley, but in a broader sense? I mean, are you talking about like FQHC clinics or... Well, see, that's where I don't even know what an FQHC... So we're a federally qualified health center. We're a community, community-based health center. So there are... You know, like I say, there are five five community uh, FQHC clinics in the county. There are other clinics such as Covalo and 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 Consolidated, which are in the Indian Health Service. So they're mm-hmm. a, in a, a different breed altogether. There are other people who have outpatient clinics. There's North Coast Clinic in Fort Bragg. Uh, there's the Adventist Health outpatient clinics as well. So. You know, it, it varies from place to place and, and what the services are in the community. You know, I've always tried to keep a really good relationship with all the hospitals in, in the county. Uh, I worked in the emergency room in Ukiah for about 30 years 
just so I kept up my connections with the other doctors in the community so people knew me. I go to the hospital once a week and make rounds on our patients, so I see them there. I'm active on the medical staff at the hospital. Uh, a lot of community health centers don't do that. Um, you know, I think it's an important thing to keep those relationships strong and, and active, so that's been my feeling over the years, but it depends on the health center. And like in California, in rural places, are health centers fairly common or uncommon? Do you have? Oh, any they're very common. There are. You know, we have an organization called uh, California Primary Care Association, and they have over six hundred uh, health centers that are members of them throughout the state. So there are lots of community health centers in California. Yeah. Wow. Nationwide. Any Nationwide any? too. Yeah. So. Um, Community health centers, I think, see about uh, 20% of the patients in the country nationwide. Mm -hmm. Wow. I bet, you they, I bet you they see 50% of the patients in Mendocino County. What do you think, Mark? Well, probably so. I mean, you know, I, I think we are, you know, you know besides uh, the hospital systems, uh, right. you know, we see, you know, the vast majority of the patients, you know, you know, and you know, in Anderson Valley and the South Coast and Laytonville, we are all the sole providers in our community. So we see everybody right. in our community. Yeah, and Covalos the same way. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you know, I think we probably see more than fifty percent of the patients in the county. Wow. Okay, we have another caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. So I want to be part of your clinic, but I do not live in Anderson Valley. I'm outside the valley in, in, in Mendocino County. Can I be a patient at your clinic? Absolutely. We take, you know, we, 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 we do not take patients by geography. I mean, I have patients who come see me from San Francisco, Oakland. I had patients from Eureka come see me. Uh, you know, we, we take any, anybody who wants to come in, we are willing to see. My well, my daughter my daughter Gwen sees Cindy the F and P at Anderson Valley, and is in school to become an F and P because she's so impressed with her. Can I can I get a contact phone number, please, for the clinic? Sure, it's seven zero seven eight nine five three four seven seven. Thank you. You're very and welcome. And I'm I'm so impressed by what I'm hearing. I thank you so much for all your many many years of such phenomenal work. Take good care. Thank you. And, um, you know, and I, it's a labor. I think, that, I think an important thing has happened also is that, you know, in 86, there were eight internists in primary care in Ukiah. And that just doesn't exist anymore. And I think that the, the, the community clinics have filled an enormous gap in primary care because, you know, you just don't see a doctor in their own office anymore, except for Dr. DeCroner or very few people, Dr. Rushton, because it's hard to pull this off mm -hmm. as a primary care doctor. Yeah, it's, it, you know, I mean, you know, this, is, this has been the people have been focusing on being in groups rather than individual practice. When I came to Ukiah, there were lots of individual private practices with, you know, one or two doctors. Uh, including most of the specialists and you you'll see it most of the even the surgical specialists have have migrated to the hospital group just because of the economics of of, of delivering health care 
you know, so uh, I, I think we do fill an enormous place, you know, for that. And, um, you know, one of the nice things that we have to offer is that, you know, we, we really do have the continuity of care and we know our patients and we get to know people. And you don't see a different person every time you go in, which is often in many different places the case for patients. And I'd like to make one point like that. I'm up in Covalo Thursdays and Fridays for the last couple of years. Um, the the primary care doctor you have who is looking at your hypertension and diabetes and other issues is going to be the most upstream preventative person you can actually ever see. It isn't a big, you know, everybody talks about, oh, I got helicopter to so-and-so to get my heart bypass. Well, if you'd had a good primary care doctor, that would have never happened because somebody would have given you a stress test when you were having chest pain. Or, um, there's just... I, I can't emphasize enough the importance of the upstream importance of having that primary care doctor like you had as a child, Cobb. Yeah, and I, I think you also have the advantage of, you know, you know these people and you know when, you know, I, I have this guy come in and he has this minor complaint, but I know that this guy doesn't complain about anything. So I know it's not a minor complaint and I take mm -hmm. it much more seriously and I work it up quicker than someone else would work it up. Right. Um, I wonder if you can, uh, for our listeners, we're coming up on the end of the hour, uh, if there's any other contact information you want to put out there, uh, Dr. Atfeller, or you either, uh, Marvin, and then if you could also spell out for our listeners some of the key words, if they're going to go to their provider and bring up the conversation about uh, end-of-life care and that what uh, is going to help them to ask the right questions and get that ball rolling? Well, yeah, I think that they should have a discussion with their family members first about what their wishes are. They should have a good understanding about what their medical condition is and what their prognoses are, what the options for treatment are. So you can't make any of these decisions really without having you know that type of information. And you need to get a lot of that information from your healthcare provider, you know, what your diagnosis is, what your prognosis is, what the treatment options are, how good they are, how bad they are. And, you know, so it's really making an informed decision about what, what you want for your healthcare. Uh, so, it, it, you know, you, you can go into your doctor and say, you know, I, I want to talk about advanced healthcare planning and I'd like to get some, some advanced care health planning, you know, done. Uh, I work with an organization called the Coalition for Compassionate Care of California, and you can go on their website, and they have documents. They have advanced care planning documents on the on the website that you can download and have copies of. I use one of them in my office. You know, that's the form I use. Uh, if you need to get forms, uh, if you contact me through the health center. Uh, uh, I would be glad to send out forms to people if they need forms sent out. Does the health center have a uh, web yeah. site? What do people look up for that? AVHC.org. AVHC.org, okay. So if you're a, maybe a new resident to Anderson Valley and you didn't even know that that was an option for you, and that's the same place uh, somebody would go locally if they're interested in finding out about uh, 
their vaccine eligibility or making an appointment? Well, everybody's everybody's eligible now over 16. So oh, right, right. And, and hopefully next week they will release Pfizer for 12, 12 to 15-year-olds. We also have a Facebook page. Okay. So cool. people can look on the Facebook page as well. Are you doing walk-ins for vaccines, Mark? Not yet, because you know, you know, once you puncture, I mean, the pro- problem with, with 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 the vaccines is once you puncture the vial, you've got to use it within six or eight hours. Right. So we're trying to group people now because we're not having enough to do mass vaccines anymore. So we're trying to group people so we know we have ten people coming in that day. Then we'll open up a vial because we really don't want to waste any vaccine. Yeah, you know, it's going to be really, you know, you know, it's too bad it's not like a flu vaccine where you can puncture right. the vial and it's good for 30 days. Then you could, then we could do it. That'd be great. And we don't know whether these vaccines, they've never tested these vaccines to see if they're any good that way. But, you know, until we get to that, we've got to do it in, in, in grouping people. Got it. And uh, Marvin, can you uh, give any contact information for, like, you're working up in Covalo as far as people yeah. wanting to get a vaccine and that kind of thing? Yeah, and the Covalo Clinic, the Round Valley Indian Health Clinic, has done a phenomenal job with vaccinations. They have a very small, close-knit community, and they've done a great job of going out on Saturdays and doing lots of vaccinations. Their, their number is 983 6181 9836181 Round Valley Indian Health and they see anybody it doesn't matter whether you're native american or not okay it's an open clinic and we have just a couple minutes left and we do have uh one caller that's been holding on let's see if they're still there uh welcome caller go ahead with your question hi um, my name's Norm Risk I'm also a physician that works in a major academic medical center and I had a comment and a question. Um, the comment is, I've watched Mark for 30 years, and the quality and the breadth of medical care that he's provided for the community is really unparalleled. So I just want to congratulate him for that. Here, here. It's been an, an astonishing run for the community. And my question is um, to Mark, is uh, because the clinic has had its ups and downs, in terms of um, support and um, its ability to stay independent, what can the community do best to make sure that they preserve this resource? I know they have a construction project that's pending, but I'm, I wonder what Mark has to say about maintaining this legacy for the community. Yeah, and hey, uh, uh, Dr. Risk, just one last thing before you go to lend context to your compliment there. Can you tell listeners your job title? Because um, it's I've pretty been incredible. running the intensive care unit at Stanford for 27 years, and uh, I work in the medical school there. And I also want to endorse what Mark's been saying about uh, Pulsed and um, the inadequacy of CPR and people that are elderly and frail. About 3% of people that undergo CPR when it's witnessed survive uh, to have a life that is unimpaired. Okay. Thanks for calling in. We'll see about an answer. We got a, maybe a minute left to go. Okay. Well, you know, there 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 was a push for quite a while for the community health centers to consolidate. 
and there was a push for us to be taken over by either Ukiah or one of the other clinics. We really fought that. We felt that having our independence was really important, that this was the best way we could be responsive to the people of Anderson Valley, which was what we wanted to do. And fortunately, we, we were able to avoid that back in 2014, 2015. I don't think there's that push at this point, at, fortunately, at the, now. I think that, again, you know, just all the support we could have from the community, and we have enormous community support, helps us maintain our independence, and our independence lets us be flexible to respond to the needs of our community, which are, you know, in each community in the county, as, we, as I look through this and we go through it, Fort Bragg is different than Ukiah, than Willits, than Gualala, than Laytonville, than Anderson Valley. We all are very unique communities and have our own unique needs, and so we should maintain our independence. There you go. Thanks for joining us, Mark. You're welcome. I'm glad Such to be here. Such a big deal. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Marvin. All right. Having said that, everybody, uh, that brings us up to the end of our hour. Just a few seconds to go. You're tuned to KZYX. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.